Well, hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of The Genius Life. I'm your host, Max Lugavere, a filmmaker, a health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Genius Foods. In this episode of the show, I'm super excited to welcome back my good friend, Aaron Alexander, to the show. Aaron is a manual therapist and movement coach who's helped top athletes, celebrities, and everyone in between to relieve pain, increase strength, and optimize their movement. In addition, he hosts the top-rated Align podcast, which features the world's thought leaders on all things movement and wellness. I'm actually a guest on on his podcast this week as well. So head over and check that out after you listen to this. Now, over the course of the next hour, you're going to discover a number of things, including how to heal your body, plus the three things that you should do every day to prevent back, shoulder, and neck pain, and strengthen your pelvic floor. How to unclench your anxieties around investing yourself fully into your passion so that you can be more successful in business and in your personal life. And the specific body positions that Aaron claims encourage negative thoughts so that you can avoid them. There's going to be a lot of knowledge dropped in this episode, so I'm excited for you to listen to it. This episode of The Genius Life is powered by Plant Fusion. Plant Fusion makes a number of very delicious and easily mixable plant-based protein powders, blending five different plant proteins, including pea, artichoke, algae, organic quinoa, and organic amaranth. I really dig Plant Fusion as a everyday protein powder um, because they're one of the few brands that do not use rice protein. Rice protein is known to contain heavy metals like arsenic, and Plant Fusion has a thorough screening process that not only identifies high-risk ingredients, but also ensures that they are free of all major allergens, pesticides, and GMOs. They sent me a free sample of some of their protein powders, and I have to say I found their red velvet um, protein powder delicious. And as somebody who loves red velvet cake but doesn't eat it very often because it is a hyper-processed junk food, uh, typically, I was very psyched to have a protein powder that tastes just like red velvet cake. I am not kidding you. So if you'd like to go and stock up on some Plant Fusion protein powders, well, by all means, head over to plantfusion.com and use promo code MAX30 for 30% off of your entire purchase. Again, plantfusion.com, MAX30 is going to get you 30% off of your entire purchase for a limited time up until June 30th. So if you're looking to increase um, your protein intake without a whole bunch of tag-along calories, consider giving Plant Fusion a try, they rule. All right, guys. Well, we're just seconds away from my chat with Mr. Aaron Alexander, my very good friend. Um, he's uh, a wealth of knowledge. He's a very erudite, articulate man, and I'm pumped for you to um, listen to it. But before we get to that, guys, please support The Genius Life. You can do that by spreading the word about it. Post um, a screenshot up on your Instagram stories or just leave that late rating and review and let me know how I could improve the show. I read every single rating and I really appreciate you taking the time to let me know what you like, what you don't like. For example, I really appreciated this uh, review from Lynn's Ruth on iTunes. She wrote, I'm a longtime nutrition, health, biohacking fan. I follow many podcasts, and Max has become one of my favorites. He interviews great guests and keeps things light and funny, but doesn't dodge the hard and controversial stuff either. Great balance. He's a genius. Well, Lynn's Ruth, I really appreciate that. I'm blushing, if you can only see me. Um, And uh, I appreciate all of you guys taking the time to let me know how I could improve the genius life. That shows that you care, and, um, well, the feeling is mutual. And that's why the third way that you can support The Genius Life is by going over to maxlugavere.com and by joining my newsletter. Every week or so, I send out an email blast uh, explicitly designed to improve your life in at least one way. Sometimes it's a product that I'm really digging or a book that I recommend or an exclusive discount. You can opt out at any time. Um, but again, all you got to do is go to maxlugavere.com, enter your first and last name and your email address, and we will be in touch. All right, guys. Well, without further ado, I'm excited to get into the chat with Aaron. So let's rock. I know when we record, that's when I start heavy breathing into the microphone. That's the cue. Is that the cue? Because <laughs> you just typically for me, <laughs> huh? <laughs> yeah, baby, yeah. we're on. Yeah, mics are hot. Yep, we're hot at it, man. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for for having me over to your your humble abode. Oh, thanks for coming back. This yeah. is uh, number, round two for you, right? That's you were, correct. Yeah, yeah. The first one was a big success. I always love chatting with you because um, you're so articulate <laughs> and full of insight. And um, yeah, you're one of my closest friends. So I appreciate that, man. Yeah, so I, I love sharing way. your value with my with my audience. I'm more and more. We're just gonna <laughs> start off blowing smoke each up each other's asses. Um, but I'm more and more impressed by you the more I get to know you, hmm. which that's a really cool attribute, especially living in a place like Los Angeles, where it's typically the inverse. The inverse. <laughs> You were so awesome on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and then we met. Right. 
<laughs> it's so true. Oh, my God. A lot of smoke and mirrors. Different kind of smoke. Smoke yeah. and mirrors in, yeah. in L.A. Yeah, exactly. To do that is a real... It's like a lot of work to sustain an identity. I think for people that their brand is just themselves, that just seems like so much extra yeah. energy for them to be able to use for something else. Whereas if you have like multiple different personalities that you have to maintain, it's kind of like maintaining a lie. Mm-hmm. You know, Have you ever heard of the book Radical Honesty? No. Oh, it's good. Um, so in that book, I think the guy's name's, it's not Brad... Blanton. It's something like that. But he talks about how any lie, even like a little micro lie that you tell to yourself, that you tell to others, essentially is like a living, breathing entity or a parasite (laughs) that lives inside of you. And the more of those parasites and form of lies that you have, the more kind of draws that you have on your energy. Wow. So if you're feeling, you know, it's hard to sleep it's hard to you know i brain fog you know all these different things like we look at it as like oh like more omega-3s or eat a zucchini or whatever like well there could be other like lifestyle factors at play as well with all that stuff sounds like such a burden (sighs) oh man there's people even in our our you know quote-unquote space you know our world that i feel like are there's this version of them that they project on social media and then you meet them in person and they're like the opposite Mm -hmm. and um yeah, I won't, won't name them, but... Um, name but, them. <laughs> Never, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, but it's, they're in that like sort of lifestyle entrepreneur space. You know, we were talking about that a little bit earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's good to be authentic. It's confusing for people as well because people make... I mean, I think a lot of the folks are pretty obvious, but people make a business out of health where their foundation isn't health or wellness or, you know, any of that stuff. Their foundation is business. Yeah, or marketing. Yeah. Yeah. And they just, they found the placeholder of like, oh, this health stuff is sexy. Yeah. (laughs) That'll sell. There's a lot of money in it. 100%. (laughs) Yeah. So that's very confusing for people because those, the people that are the savviest with the marketing and all that stuff, they end up having the loudest megaphones because they, you know, know how to, you know, work the the, the back end in such a way that their voice gets out there. Right. And then that becomes the dominant voice of of the people. Yeah. But then all it takes is five minutes with them in person and you realize that there's not not much meat there. Yeah. You know, that it was was purely a business play. I feel like for you and me, the the opposite is true. I mean, you know, I got into this purely, well, we'll take book writing, you know, for example. Like many people, I feel like, write a book to promote their online course or their... Um, you know, a, a port, they're, they're, they act sort of like hooks for, you know, their, their business yeah. at large. Whereas, you know, for me, when I was writing my book, I wrote the book just to write a book, you know, just to put information out there into the world. And it, it wasn't a marketing play for me. Yeah. Um, and I feel like people that, that do that, you know, true authors, true writers don't do it for the money, you know, because I mean, like writing a book is so few of them actually turn profitable. Mm. Um, same with documentary filmmaking. Um, so yeah, I'm grateful that I've been able to turn things around and be able to create a business out of what it is that I'm doing. I mean, I have to be able to sustain myself, right? And and afford the quality food that makes me so happy right. at the end of the day. But um, But yeah, it certainly didn't start that way for me. Yeah. How does one differentiate between the two as a consumer? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think... Uh, it can be hard. It's a, it's a central challenge. It's one of the reasons why people in our position, you know, influencers, um, I like how you said influencers influence. Yeah. Sounded French. Well, <laughs> well, cause I, there's like legal ramifications now. I mean, if you're, if you're, and, and, and obviously, um, trust ram, you know, ramifications as well. If you're promoting a product and you're being paid to promote that product and you're not disclosing as such, right then it's no worse than a scientist, you know, taking money from the Sugar Association and promoting a pro-sugar, uh, publishing a pro-sugar research study um, without having disclosed where that where that funding came from. It's the same thing for us, kind of, you know. It's kind of like the whole social media thing. It's almost like it's like a tribe, you know. So when you, when you have less people to tend to in a tribe, like, you know, like Dunbar's number 150. Are you familiar with that stuff? Like kind be- of, yeah. Beyond 150 is when the kind of like the tribe breaks up. Like we, all the primates can't, can't uh, tend to each other at beyond that point. And we, in the social media realm, you kind of have probably about, realistically, about 150 people that you can actually actively pay attention to. Yeah. 
you know, and, and if they, I mean, I'm just like toying with this idea right now, you know, but if they, any one of those kind of gets out of line, then you kind of, you, you push them out, you know, and you, you, you kind of like cut them off. And that's like the most painful thing that can happen. Like we respond to rejection in the same place in our brain as we do literally like pain hmm. as though someone like cut me on the shoulder. That's the same place that we respond to that sensation of like, oh, you're breaking up with me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the real thing I think is is like I don't you know as long as you stay in alignment of you actually your intention is to truly help people then you know they won't break up with you hopefully yeah <laughs> but you can only there's only so many chances you get in this life especially in the public life to lie yeah you know it's like if there's like if there's like and then sometimes people can even you know if they they lie and then they're honest about the lie yeah that's better than just like covering it up Hundred percent, you know, and that can be like a lesson in and of itself. But in the end, it's it comes back to like the radical honesty thing, you know. Like everyone, like throughout the day, like everybody tells fibs. Like that's a part of the thing. And I think the more that you can get into reducing that number down to hopefully yeah. at some point like zero, the better. Oh my god, you know. But yeah, in the end, I think with with social media, with relationships, with business, with anything, it's like if you can just be honest, you know, find what's what actually clearly feels true to you. And lead with that. And then with like what you're expressing with the book, that's like, that's what you're saying. You're like, I just wanted to write the best book. I wanted to get this out of me. And and, and now you have this best-selling, amazing book. Yeah. It's and pretty I, freaking cool when it works that way. Yeah. And I, and, I, and, I didn't, <laughs> and I didn't pay to make it a bestseller, which we were talking about. I guess a lot of people do Very that. rare. Very rare. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's another thing that drives me a little crazy? And then we'll move on because yeah. I want to talk about... Um, you know what you're up to, but uh, yeah. like the the whole <laughs> phenomena of uh, business coaches online that are basically like, I'm going to coach you. I grew a seven figure business, and I'm going to coach you how to do the same. Meanwhile, they their business relies on people signing up for their coaching. Yeah. So they didn't actually grow that business until they had people signing up for their coaching. Yeah. So it's like a pyramid scheme in a way. That's right. Yeah. For many of them. Yeah. Um, and I and I know some some business coaches, but it always you know struck me as being a funny. Kind but with it, within that, a part of it, you know, the business coach just acts as like a symbol for you to create accountability for yourself. Perhaps. You know, so if I say, and hopefully they have great information as well. Yeah. You know, but like if you pay somebody seven grand to like, uh, you know, audit your business or whatever, where you're like, I really need to start paying attention. <laughs> you know, like I just invested this this money that I may or may not, you know, have. Yeah. Now I'm I'm really engaged, I'm all in. Whereas a lot of other people kind of stay in a place and I'm guilty of this or I've been guilty of this in the past. Um and it's still something I'm like working on unwinding, but like playing small. Hmm. You know, and just yeah. like just keep okay, just keep everything small, keep it small, keep it small, and then you don't have to worry about as much. But at some point it's kinda like, well, maybe you're you're holding yourself back. You know, so I think that sometimes a business coach just is like a, they're almost like a, a symbol for you to actually start taking your, what your, your business more seriously. Yeah. Don't play it small. The business coach could be like a, like a, like a, a doll. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's yeah. just like we just, yeah, it's just a, it's just a figure. It's like an idol. Yeah. You know, and it's like we invested energy into it. It started bringing attention to this thing, but what it did is it snapped you into attention. Yeah. I think it's the same thing with nutrition or a similar thing with nutrition. You know, we change diets and all of a sudden you're you're paying attention to your macros, your micros, or you're measuring your omega, whatever's, you know, and it's just like, but what's, what we don't talk about with that as much is as you do start to buy these books and start to write down what you're eating and really pay attention, you're almost like casting spells on your food. You know, and you're you starting to utilize the power of placebo yeah. into everything that goes into your mouth. Like everything that goes in your mouth is almost like a, it's like a symbol. It's like a representation for something. I love that. As opposed to it just being mindless throwing Cheetos down your face while you, while, while you watch TV. Right. Yeah. It's like the opposite of that. Yeah. It's so true, man. Well, um, yeah. So it's good to, uh, I guess to be mindful of those, you know, those, uh, those things, you know, as you proceed in your in your professional life and social life, that the placebo is powerful, mm -hmm. um, and that sometimes um, there are perhaps less expensive ways of making a commitment to yourself. Freak, um, yeah, you know, yeah. But I think money's valuable. Just whatever you care about, 
Yeah. You know, for most people, people care about money. Mm. But but taking that, I think in investing, just whatever gets you engaged. You know, I think for a lot of people, money is a very obvious one. Mm. But we need something to get us engaged. What's the last thing that you invested in for yourself? <sighs> oh, well, right now, I'm in the process of spending a bunch of money on PR for the book. Mm. You know, so that would be like more than I would ever expect spending. But I'm kind of, I'm, I'm in one of those those places of like, um, yeah, I mean, I put all of this energy and intention in creating this book, you know, for me to not put everything that I can into making it be successful would be, would sound, you know, pretty dumb. Yeah. You know, and so that's, that's an example of like, okay, you know, invest this, you know, whatever it is, call it like you know, 30 grand or something like that into, into this thing. But the potential payback for that is exponentially greater. Yeah. You know, not just financially, but like in, in impact in all the different ways. Of course. You know, so it's getting yourself over that hump of like, oh my God, $30,000. Like I could buy a, you know, whatever with that. Yeah. And getting yourself out of that and getting yourself into what's this, what's the potential of this? Yeah. That's kind of what I'm, you know, working on unwinding. I think like as a growing up in kind of like a scarce background, um, you know, and having kind of like, I don't know if we talked about this stuff before, but I've talked about in like other, other places. Like my dad got into drugs and stuff when I was a kid and he like went to prison. And, oh yeah, you mentioned. Yeah. You know, and so, and so kind of learned from a young age that like the floor could get pulled out from under you at any time. Hmm. You know, and so within that, um, it's like coming back to a place of not living from a place of, of, of fear, you know, not living from a place of scarcity to actually allow yourself to grow. Yeah. You know, and sometimes you have to release your clench on, you know, money being like a metaphor for other things, I think. It's just the way that you interact with the world. Mm-hmm. There's a book called Soul of Money that gets into that, of like, you know, money just being like this kind of like energetic representation it's like a living entity kind of like the radical honesty thing yeah well i like that it's a paradigm shift in terms of thinking about money because mo- most people tend to think of it as being evil you know no yeah it's not that yeah uh-uh. it's just a form of energy it's like calories yeah well said yeah <laughs> i definitely think i mean if you think about it from the standpoint of a business investment thirty thousand dollars is not a lot of money it's a lot of no. money for your average person it's a lot right. of money to spend on a on a personal expense it's a right. huge amount of money right but as a business expense you know you are a business yeah and um you have to think about your future you know you have to think about the long game yeah and so i definitely think you should uh you know invest whatever it takes to yeah. you know because your first book is your is a once in a lifetime thing and the launch of your first book you're not going to be able to to seize on that momentum Mm-mm. you know after it's already out. So I think in terms of capitalizing on and maximizing the, the impact ultimately, which is I know what you're all about. Um, yeah, I think it's a no-brainer. And the practice of letting go of that scarcity and that like internal clenching I think is interesting. Yeah. Like the, the, the book, you know, we can get wrapped up in like the, the superficial meaning of the book. You know, of like, oh, we want to create impact. We want to build your whatever, you know, the, the empire, you know, and like the underlying... The underlying aspect of that, I think, is just like the development of your of yourself. Yeah, you know, it's like like your life, what happens in your world, are kind of like symptoms of what's happening at at, at an internal level. You know, so the book is a manifest or is a symptom or a manifestation of you know what's happening on the inside and what comes through on those pages and the people involved with it. You know, and how you how you communicate the message. You know, and so if there is that baseline level of contraction or fear, or scarcity, and it's impossible for it to not bleed through everything that you do, hmm. including bre- bleeding through into your relationships that you have, bleeding through into the way that you keep your home, your car, your, 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 your every aspect of you. Yeah. So if you think we can do that internal water, not to make this like an Eckhart Tolle kind of conversation, but <laughs> you know, we can go whatever direction, but I think that that's like the real meaningful work is actually finding you know inner inner peace i guess you could say <laughs> you know and from there building your your empire on top of that as opposed to building it on top of this kind of faulty foundation of scarcity fear yeah you know any of that stuff so true so you're in the process of writing the book yeah <laughs> how, how what stage are you in right now i mean we have to finish it in the next like um eight days is like the final final like okay this is the last little bits of what you can get in there yeah which is like a really kind of creepy interesting fun exciting time to be hmm. you know it, yeah. f- it feels like um 
I mean, I finally feel proud of it, which is, which is, that's a transition, you know, so going out of fear and like imposter syndrome and all that stuff that we were talking about and going into like, no, this is good. (laughs) Like this is actually meaningful. You know, like that's a big deal. It's amazing. (laughs) To actually feel, yeah, to feel like something that you're spawning into the world has, has meaning. And it's not, you don't have that underlying kind of whisper, you know, scratching that like, you know, this is just a ploy, (laughs) you know, like, no, it's like, this is actually like blood on the pages, like has meaning. Yeah. That's that's gratifying. It's crazy how messy creativity can be. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like wrangling cats, Mm -hmm. herding cats, basically, is what it feels like at the beginning of the writing process. And then the further down the line you get, you, you know, a picture starts to emerge and you have those moments where you're like, holy shit, I wrote that? Oh my God. Yeah. And it changes you in the process. Yeah. Which I, I think of the point of art or music or, you know, anything, making a book or I think, you know, probably all of it. But, you know, as you go through that, like we were talking about, uh, the the difference between your proposal versus the actual, like, finished book. Yeah. Typically, you know, for me at least, it was very different hmm. for, you know, for a lot of, you know, whatever. But for me, it was very different. You know, so you have that initial idea and the cats are like all over the room at that point. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I know I've got some cats. (laughs) (laughs) Like for sure, we've got cats. You know, like step one, you need cats. You need cats, (laughs) right? (laughs) Step two. Step two, figure out where to put these damn cats. (laughs) (laughs) That's it, man. That's what writing a book feels like. (laughs) So over the over the course of like you know the one of the year of doing it, that's something I've I've noticed is like organizing your ideas around things. Um, yeah, it's really it's really changed the way that the files work inside my my brain. I think, which is yeah. kind of cool. We're uh, recording this podcast from the floor. Yeah, I think this is this, this might is be revolutionary. The, revolutionary. <laughs> this might be the first podcast I've ever recorded from the floor. Dude, hopefully it's not the last. I have a lot of firsts with you. I recorded the last podcast that you and I did together was in your sauna. Yeah. Which was fun. Cool. Hopefully that comes out soon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, we'll put it out at the same time as this. Beautiful. Yeah, whenever this is. We'll why, figure it out. Why are we sitting on the floor? Why, oh, why was that important for you? So one thing in relation to sauna and this, um, I, I think we need to stack variables throughout the day. You know, the idea of like compartmentalizing your fitness into like a 45 minute hit workout <laughs> that you do, you know, at 4.30 p.m. at Equinox and then the rest of the day is just a throwaway physically. Um, there's no way for that to work. Hmm. <laughs> it's just not possible. <laughs> you know, and so what we need to do is start to learn how to inhabit ourselves in such a way that every moment becomes more meaningful, Hmm. you know, and every moment becomes an opportunity to literally like heal our connective tissue and organize our bones and, you know, also align our, our thoughts. You know, like that was something we were talking about the other day. Um, when you're in more like a hunched over position, for example, like the one that you're in, in your car Hmm. or the one that you're in when you're sitting hunched over in like a sofa kind of thing, you know, the Amy Cuddy, that really popular TED talk, she calls like the superwoman pose is that like upright, like hands up overhead, supposed to increase testosterone levels and decrease cortisol levels and all that stuff. Along with that, that position of being hunched over allows you to access negative in quotation memories easier. Hmm. So like challenging memories, memories you maybe don't like love so much. Um, Ideally, you love all your memories, but you, you have more access to those kind of like down, depressed type memories. And then when you go in an upright position, it's easier for people to access more like the good times. Hmm. You know, so all those patterns are physiologically tied in into the way that you think, the way that you feel, the way that you produce your physiology. You know, and so throughout the day, for us to not be paying attention to our bodies as being almost like an instrument, because it is. You know, like you're playing the instrument of your body all day long, you know, and so you have guitars around here. If you played your instrument and it was out of tune, you'd be like, oh, God, this sucks. Like, we need to figure this out, you know, but meanwhile, people walking around the world, their instruments literally are out of tune in the sense of like imbalances running amok throughout their body and held tension running amok throughout their body. You know, Moshe Feldenkrais called it parasitic tension. 
Hmm. Feldenkrais, the Feldenkrais method is like a movement thing. Um, are you familiar with that at all? No. Feldenkrais method? No. It's in the same vein as like rolfing or like uh, Alexander technique or kind of like gets into like osteopathy kind of principles. Wow. Essentially like align your movement in daily life and it allows your whole body to start to upregulate and do better. Wow. You know, but so I don't even remember what the original idea or question was, but I think it's it's important for us to pay attention to the tuning of our bodies throughout the day and realize that when you're in a, a hunched over position, like a lot of people listen to this right now, maybe it's they're in a car, they might be kind of hunched over, they might be like looking down at their phone and doing that forward head posture and rolling their f- shoulders forward and yeah. hyperkyphotic spine, all that stuff. Just know that from what science says, those positions are actually kind of forming your emotional self, your mental self, and your physiological self into more of a place of depression. And the opposite, your cat's giving your ear a high five right now. <laughs> this is like a new phenomenon, recording, pod- <laughs> recording my podcast with my cat. I keep around. wanting to call him the most ridiculous, like Skibbles. Skibbles. <laughs> Skibbles. You know, but then the opposite is true when you put yourself into a more aligned, stacked up, upright, empowered position, it literally makes you feel better, you know? And so throughout the day, we can be doing that. So the reason we're sitting on the floor right now is one, it's better for our circulation. Hmm. You know, so as you, you bring your legs closer to your heart, that makes it easier for blood to pump back to your heart. Imagine wow. that, you know, so then that makes it better for digestion, hmm. you know, cause you have more blood to go back into your viscera, back hmm. into your organs to break the food down. Um, it's mobilizing your hips, you know, Western culture, you know, Americans, all Western culture, like chair sitting cultures, they have higher incidence of osteoarthritis of the hips of mm. the knees, you know, hip replacements. That's like, like we did that, like the chair did that. Wow. <laughs> that's not just like, of course, yeah. you're an animal. At some point you're gonna have to replace a hip. Like what? What do you mean? It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. Insane. <laughs> Insane. <laughs> you know, it's so a simple solution because all the solutions are simple. Like, there's no such thing in my under- my like limited understanding of life. I'm pretty sure like the most profound stuff is really simple. Hmm. You know, for the most part, the things yeah. that were actually going to work. Yeah. You know, and there's like the I got the solution. It's a 137 step plan. It only <laughs> cost nine thousand dollars. You got to go to Tahiti to do the work. It's like no, I don't think it's going to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's something tells me. <laughs> is too complex. So why does it feel so un- unnatural for so many people to sit on the floor? Well, talk to the rest of the world, and they'll say, why does it feel so unnatural to sit on a chair all day? <laughs> it's, it's just what you become accustomed to. Right. Talk to a kid. But sitting on chairs actually causes things to tighten and totally. shorten. And, I mean, I, I you know, this is your... This is your domain. Like, what are we? What, what damage are we doing to ourselves by sitting on chairs? Yeah, yeah. Well, so a few things. One, um, you know, so like pelvic floor dysfunction is a very common thing. Like the adult diaper industry is slow and steadily becoming greater than that oh. of the child diaper industry. Jesus. You know, so incontinence, like you know, like oops, I I peed myself again. Like, not really that acceptable in the human form as far as like evolution goes. Hmm. You know, I don't I don't think there's too many animals in nature that. You know, or walking around just like, oh, man, I can't hold my pee in. I feel like that would be a major point of vulnerability for an animal because, you know, animals use urine and... Oh, yeah, that's Right? Cool. That's, to good, like, that's a good point. Yeah, they, they use urine as like a tool. Yeah. Yeah, they're like an intact being. Yeah. Whereas so, humans like, oh, a, lo- a little leaky. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, it makes... <laughs> and so, and so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mechanical conversation. You know, it's a muscular thing. You're not being able to, to contain yourself. Wow. You know, so when you're sitting hunched over a chair, that position like that, you know, your pelvis is getting tucked under, you know, and so like the L5, S1, you know, the bottom vertebra, Mm. they're built kind of more in like a, like a wedge type shape. I mean, I'm like doing it with my hands, but you know, for people listening, it's like a, it's like a wedge shape, the L5, like the bottom low vertebra, L5, S1 in that area. So it's a wedge so that it kind of tips you a little bit forward. So you can naturally sit on the front edge of your sit bones, sit Mm. bones, ischial tuberosities, bottom of your pelvis, essentially, you know, so your body is structured such that if you do get on the front edge of those sit bones, you can do this on a chair as well. You don't need to sit on the floor for it per se. Um, but if you get on the front edge of those sit bones there, you're literally structuring yourself to be 
in like your natural balance point with your skeleton. People tend to do the opposite of that and kind of collapse their pelvis back, which puts sends a cascade of imbalance through the rest of the system. You know, and that's what we're practicing throughout the whole entire day. And then we have this imbalanced structure, and then we get read articles about like Kegel exercises. You say, okay, great, we have these issues with pelvic floor problems. We need to strengthen this stuff. Okay, so let's put you in an imbalanced position, which is like the basis of a lot of, you know, modern life, just like assuming you're just hunching over a chair a lot. And now let's just add this contraction into the pelvic floor to like shore up all those muscles. But you're contracting from an imbalanced structural position. Mm -hmm. So now you're just hardwiring imbalance into your system even deeper. You know, so as a st instead of going to the core root, and actually finding alignment from your feet to your knees to your hips to your spine to the top of your head, you're just taking that imbalanced structure and just adding more contraction into it. Hmm. So something as simple as just spending more time on the ground, propping your hips up so you are kind of in the front edge of those sit bones a little bit, continually kind of wiggling a little bit, mobilizing your hips, changing the position of your legs. Hmm. It's like a little massage for your lower body. You know, your better circulation of blood, of lymphatic fluid, for your lymph to be able to circulate, it needs muscular contraction. It doesn't it's not like the heart where it's, it's you know pumping the blood right back up. Like you need to move and wiggle yourself in order to move that lymphatic fluid back through your system. Yeah, and that's like your body's waste disposal. It's your waste disposal. Yeah. yeah, you know, so a lot of people are walking around and their sewage systems all like gunked up, mm. and they're like, "Man, I got this brain fog." I'm like, well, "Have you tried like wiggling?" <laughs> You know, <laughs> have you tried moving some of that shit? Yeah. Or have you only looked at what can I put down my face hole? <laughs> you know, because like you are so much bigger than a face hole. Yeah. You know, there's like, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to <laughs> it. So I bet, I mean, you look at these cultures around the world, you've got elderly people sitting on the floor, you've got children yeah. playing on the floor. That's it's right. like crazy. Yeah, so that's the number one leading uh, reason for elderly needing assisted living is I fall and I can't get up. Have you seen those studies where it's like uh, your ability to get up off of the floor is, yeah, a, a, is point. A, it's a strong predictor of, um, you know, lifespan, yeah. basically. And your inability to get up off the floor, conversely, is a, is a predictor of early mortality. Yeah, yeah, I include, that in, the, I include that in the book. That's... that's um, yeah, if they for so for every point, if you're getting up, so from a position like we're in right now, like kind of like cross leg, whatever. Yeah. Ideally, you can get up from that position with no points of contact, just your two feet up. Wow. If you can do that, pretty healthy person. Mm -hmm. um, every point that you need, where you have to, you know, put a hand down on your knee or on the floor or whatever, they consider that to be a you take a point off of your score. It's a total wow. of ten points. Um, and then you do the same thing, you know, all the way down, all the way back up. So it's a total of two times. People that, if I remember correctly, people that had to use essentially like all the, you know, all their points of contact to get up and down, they yeah. had a score of two. Um, they were significantly more likely to die within the next six years of the study. It was done with, with people that were already kind of like a bit senior. Wow. You know, but if you are a person, and it's not like saying like getting up and down off of the ground is what you, it's not that specifically, it's what that's an indicator of for you all of you yeah it's autonomy of you you know and the, and the overall function of all of your systems and all of your organs and your brain you know your brain is up there to move your body <laughs> you know and so if your body doesn't move right it can't not be associated to your neurological function hmm. as far as i understand yeah yeah so insane um and so uh yeah it's so interesting is it I mean, I, I feel like when I sit on the floor, it's effortful for me to keep my back straight up. So is that like a mechanical problem that I have structurally, or is that just a consequence of spending my whole life sitting on chairs? Well, it's both. Um, but it's not like, one, you don't, like, there's, it's totally fine to have your spine flexed. You know, so that's, it's, it's very easy to, like, vilify, you know, it would be easy to interpret this conversation if you only listen to it up until this point. To be like, okay, I need to have a stick in my ass all day long or I'm going to, you know, die of something terrible. Well, when I see you, you're always like perfectly upright. But that's because it's more comfortable because I've like carved it out. Oh, wow. You know, but so it's just time. Like your body's an adaptation machine. Like yeah. that's what it does. Wow. You know, so like I, you know, I did a, 
a 10 day Vipassana sitting meditation thing, you know, in the last, it was like six months ago or something like that. And in that it was excruciatingly painful. <laughs> you know, like I thought like my hip was going to need to get surgically removed <laughs> at one point, <laughs> you know, but like your body's like, okay, this is what we're doing. All right. Well, um, I guess we'll have to figure that out. And <laughs> wow, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that anybody needs to, needs to do that. Yeah. Like, I mean, I actually encourage everybody to do that because I think it's great, but, um, your body will adapt to whatever position you put yourself into. Mm. So whether it's the most, I mean, I find this interesting with like, when you think of like the Holocaust, you know, like we can adapt to anything. Yeah. You know, you could be the person throwing people into a incinerator. You oh, can God. be the person that is, you know, up, you know, that's being thrown in mm. and you, you, you adapt because we can slowly gradually change our lifestyles to like, Oh yeah, this is normal. Yeah. I just throw on my, whatever the outfit the soldiers wore, you know, and I'm sure that those people were probably very kind people. Like they probably had kids and they probably had families and they probably had like emotional connections with people that they loved. Yeah. And they started to view these other human beings as being like animals, you know, not to take this into like a dark, but, but that's a reality of human nature is that we can change and adapt to anything. It's true. You know? And so (laughs) that's like, kind of a, a, a pretty stark shift in the like Holocaust <laughs> from floor sitting. But there's value there. You yeah. know, because we could we can adapt to a position that makes us, you know, pee our pants and replace our hips. Well, it's like one of the double edged swords of the human condition, right? I mean we adapt to things that are horrible. We adapt to things that are beautiful. Yeah. You know, and at the end of the day we tend to regress to the mean and um everything kind of just takes on this kind of subdued, uh, you know, kind of like washed out appearance at the end of the day. And so we have to actually work to, um, to maintain, I think, an, an appreciative relationship with things that, that are always in front of us, right? Because mm-hmm. we, we tend and to habituate and adapt. And consciously choose what you put in front of you. Yes. That's the big thing. Yeah. Because you will adapt to whatever it is. Yeah. You know, and so it's like figuring out, like your home, for example, you know, I, in the book, one of the chapters is, is called creating a living room, you know, and like, cause we call our living room, a living room, but it's like, like call it what it is. It's like, you know, a sofa thing that you kind of hunch down into and then you <laughs> stare at the wall, <laughs> you know, where the, you project this like blue light shooting into your, your <laughs> eyeballs at 11 PM at night, you know, and then you you know, drink some wine, nothing, nothing wrong with wine or whatever. But like, like that's, I don't think that that's, from my perspective, you know, that to me isn't like the quintessential expression of living. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so I would subtle shifts like that. Nothing wrong with like watching TV or drinking wine or sitting in a couch. Like there's nothing wrong with that at all. I think it's like, like have at it. As millions of people regret Spending 10 years watching Game of Thrones only to be... <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, a little bit of that I think is really fine. And yeah. I- ideally that's like bringing you closer to other people or maybe you're watching something that stimulates you or inspires you or it's good for your career or whatever. You know, there's a lot of value with that. Um, but something that you could do, for example, is when you're st- in that... When you're spending that time, you could just maybe make the floor more inviting. Hmm. You know, so get like a comfy rug down on the ground or throw like a couple yoga mats down on the ground or throw some self-care stuff down there foam rollers balls bands whatever yeah um you know and and make it be like the floor like why would i pay 25 bucks to go to a a yoga class when i'm gonna i have all this time and i have this open space and i have a yoga mat on the ground and i got game of thrones going (laughs) like why don't i just throw myself in a pigeon pose as i watch the freaking show yes hang out on the floor Hang out on the floor, man. It's so not a big deal. Absolutely change your life. Well, when you walked into my apartment, you saw I've got this big area rug right in front of my TV that I hang out on, and I have a yoga mat that's always out in my living room. Awesome. That I can kind of just play on. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be a half an hour. No. You know, yoga session. It's like it's always there for me to like go and do a stretch or yep. um, do a pose. And that's and, that, and that's shown. Joan Vernicos is a she's a lady. Have you ever heard of her before, by chance? No. She, she might have popped up in your radar at some point. But she's um, her title is she works with NASA and like the I don't know what her title is exactly. She like studies the health of the astronauts and helps them with um, anti gravity or zero gravity. Hmm. You know, and the effect that, that has on the body. 
And what she found working with them, she's been doing it for like longer than anybody, like 30 years or something. And what she found with that, though, is continual movement was the thing that really uh, ameliorated the negative effects of being up in space, wow. being in zero gravity. You know, and so the people that would, like I mentioned in the beginning, like backload their workout and just bang out three hours of treadmill stuff or whatever, and then the rest of that is just kind of float in mm -hmm. space, they would get really jacked up wow. by that zero gravity versus the people that do like more like the little titrates of fitness throughout the whole entire day hmm. because your body is an ongoing system. You know, your body doesn't understand this like on off thing that we've kind of structured it to. It's it's like a river. You know, you look at a river flowing. There's not like, oh, it, well, it flows from 2 to 245. <laughs> and then the rest of the day, we just kind of take a break on the river. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, it just, it goes. Yeah. You know, and you need to keep it going. And if you stop it from going, then stuff starts to build up. So that's why every time I see you, you're more jacked <laughs> than before. I'm def I think it's different t-shirts. You've gained... 20 pounds of muscle since we first met. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> yes, it is true. <laughs> no. Easy. I've been the same weight since I was like 23. What? <laughs> okay, so we were talking about adaptation. Humans can adapt to anything. This is a fact. What are some other habits? What are some other habits that, uh, that my wonderful listeners can um, integrate into their lives that, um, that can help them be more aligned? Yeah. Well, so, so you got to spend more time on the ground. Like, please that like i think that that's if you're gonna do anything just like that will change things dramatically um another thing that's super easy super obvious and creates a huge huge shift and costs you like next to nothing um is just hanging each day hmm. you know so we're you know seeing people to get all sorts of mobility and decompression and adjustments and all that stuff like gravity does it you know, like if you give yourself enough time decompressing in gravity, your body does pretty amazing things. You know, so there's a whole book called uh, Shoulder Pain, question mark, by a guy called Dr. John Kirsch, an orthopedic surgeon. Hmm. And um, he recommends in that, which I recommend in, in mine as well, kind of like a similar protocol of just a minute and a half hanging each day for, you know, Call it 15 days, two weeks, 10 days. Give it, you know, whatever whatever you'll stick to. Try it for a week. It'll change you enough that you don't want to stop. Mm. You know, and so a minute and a half each day of that hanging, which is pretty pretty easy to do. It can be 15 seconds times six times. You know, and so what you do is just get like, you have a hallway here. Get like one of those $30 pull-up bar things put between your hallway. And then every time you walk through that hallway, just give yourself a little woof. Mm. Just a little like, a little monkey bar hang through, hmm. you know, and what that does, it literally restructures the shape of your shoulder girdle. So that's wow. what, that's what his whole book is based on. It's just like, if you hang, here's all the amazing things that it does to your shoulder girdle, hmm. you know, because we have the tendency of being chronically rolled, you know, immediately rotated that, that head of the humerus is kind of immediately rotated on the, the glenohumeral fossa. It's just like sitting on the edge of disaster, essentially, you know, it's uh, most, Shoulder dislocations happen anteriorly out the front, you know, and it's because people, you know, the shoulder joints, in, um, it's instable in general. But when you're chronically being pulled forward on the edge of that joint, it's like it's asking for trouble, wow. you know, of like serious injury, but also just general like, you know, dysregulation of your of your whole body you know that that same area is that's a, a main highway of various different nerves and blood vessels and arteries and if there's impingement in that area then you might be experiencing maybe tingles down your arms Yikes. you might be you know loss of of uh, grip strength which is associated to cardiovascular health you know so the simple act of just bringing your arms up overhead each day and just oh having a little hang um Super easy, absolutely change your shoulder girdle. And um, in his book, he found that it was something like ninety or ninety-five percent of the patients that he saw would uh, relieve themselves of the shoulder pain that they would come in with wow. just just by doing this hanging protocol. So it's not just potentially effective for pre prevention of shoulder issues, but it can be used to ameliorate what you got. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that was yeah. That's the people he's seeing. It's not just just like healthy people. It's people wow. like oh. Doc, I got this shoulder thing. Wow. And you're like, should we do surgery? Like, let's try hanging. Wow. See what that does. Does it also help decompress your spine? Of course. Yeah. Your shoulder is your spine. Your spine is your shoulder. You know, there's no separation. 
Hmm. You know, so if you have shoulder tension, if you have wrist tension, if you have neck tension, you know, the, the a fancy term for it is tensegrity. You know, your body is this this large tensional network. And if there if you pull on any imagine you're wearing like a sweatshirt. You know, if I pull on the sweatshirt from the you know, the hip side, I pull it down, then all of a sudden that pull's gonna go up across my chest, up up into my, my other shoulder. You know, now I'm walking around the world and my whole connective tissue matrix, my sweater's pulling me into a position that's exacerbating that pattern. Mm. You know, so yeah, you need, if you care about your spine, it would be wise to think about your shoulders and, and, vi- and vice versa. So if I hang a pull-up bar in the doorway in the hall and my feet touch the ground, what's the safest, where do you put your feet better than hanging if they just pick them up off the ground a little bit and for for a lot for a lot of people it would be and so so like next next level ideas with it would be playing with kind of creating more of like a hollow position in your abdomen so a lot of people hollow means like you're kind of like tucking your uh, lower ribs towards your pelvis Hmm. so you're kind of closing that abdominal space Um, so as you're doing that you're kind of creating almost thinking of your torso almost like a cylinder and you want to be able to stack that cylinder. Like we have a, a bottle here in front of me. I want to be able to stack that cylinder up. If I have like a big break in one of the points, imagine like a plastic bottle. If you crinkle one of the sides there and then you press down on it, it'll like it'll collapse at that point that you had the yeah the, the, the little twist. And so most people as we're walking around the world, we have a lot of this kind of like Brazilian booty J-Lo kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and so our abdomens are flared out. Our ribs are flaring. And now we have chronic instability happening in our low back. Hmm. You know, so then you know, the majority of the disc herniations manifest themselves in that same area, that L5, S1, like lower back area. Yeah. Because we're chronically putting stress on there. Oh, that's where I have my, my injury. Uh-huh. Yeah, a lot of people, yeah. you know. And so with the hanging, what you can do is you can just kind of, as you're up there, you can blow all of your air out and feel that, that compression happening in your abdomen. You can point your toes straight out and kind of imagine your body's kind of like a like a C in a way facing forward you know or like a half moon or something and so you're 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 forming your body into kind of like a little parabola wow. activating that that's your abs and you'll get sweet abs from it too sweet abs dude everybody loves sweet abs <laughs> <laughs> yeah a lot of people in LA have 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 the abs yep they're uh, they're pretty common out here there's different things though if you have a bunch of slabs of muscle on your body that don't actually serve any purpose, I think it's just more taxing for your heart. Hmm. <laughs> you know, if you have well-integrated muscle that is a byproduct of you doing things that matter, then that's that's like an integrated system. You know, and it serves the function of your life and serves you, you know, doing the things that you enjoy doing, whether it be maybe you like to dance or maybe you're a wrestler or a jiu-jitsu person or a swimmer or a surfer. You know, or a weightlifter, maybe like that's that's your thing, um, but the direction towards just packing on superficial layers of of tissue as a means of like sh- you know showing yourself or showing others that you're a strong person. Yeah, you know, but below that, it doesn't actually serve much of a utilitarian function. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty challenging for the body. You began uh, with an interest in bodybuilding, didn't you? Yeah, that was my jam. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was the same thing. Like I, I, I came up from a place of being the story that I tell, which again, like a story is, you know, you, what is it called? Remembered truth is a, is a term I've heard for this, like some huh. psychological term of, you know, you, your history, when you're thinking back into it, you're recreating it right now. Yeah. You know, so I try to, I try to be kind of a little reticent of, you know, becoming too attached to the old stories. Yeah. You know, and so, so at some point it's like, yeah, I know that story, but what point are you going to drop that shit? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like what point are you just going to, you know, with like the podcast stuff, you, you get to tell the story enough times I and know. you're aware that people are listening to it. You're like, I think it's getting old. That's so funny. I think it's time to move on. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was the story that I aligned with wow. was, um, just like not enough, um, you know, not accepted, um, out of place, and I would find self worth through f- physicality. Hmm. 
and you could you know accuse me of doing similar things now you know that's like a big part of my expression in the world is like physicality and then or helping other people with their physicality you know and so that's always an interesting thing of differentiating between like what are you doing just based off of you ever heard of a book Elephant in the Brain? No, but I love all your book references. Elephant in the Brain's great. So the guy gets into um, how we conspicuously do things, hmm. you know. So conspicuous generosity, or conspicuous empathy, or conspicuous health, even would be an example. Yeah, wow. You know, so I'm conspicuously showing you that I'm generous because I know that that is beneficial to my survival. Yeah. I'm conspicuously showing you that I have muscles because it's an indication that I have excess resources and we could create a family together or whatever. <laughs> you could join my tribe. You know, and so it's always an interesting thing that I'm kind of, you know, trying to kind of step back and watch. You know, is this my conspicuously doing these things out of like a fear-based survival mechanism? Mm. You know, or is there some way to kind of like level up into something else where it's just like, I just do it just because it feels good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think it's all about the intention, right? I, I mean, I love to work out. I love to uh, hit certain milestones mm -hmm. for myself in terms of like, you know, strength, body composition, stuff like that, you know, yeah, and, yeah. I, and I feel like I've always enjoyed weightlifting and, you know, my motivations are probably a lot... Uh, are definitely a lot different now than they were when I was 16 and I first started. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's good to kind of do that, that like little self inquiry. Yeah. So what's your intentions with your body? Um, man, I don't know. I mean, it, it changes. I definitely work out like, you know, exercise and I've talked about this a lot is an important part of my mental health program. Um, and, yeah. uh, and I do it for brain health. Obviously I do it for the prevention of chronic disease so that I can have a long health span and lifespan. But uh, I'm always kind of like tinkering with, um, you know, like uh, I would still say I have an interest in like bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. And I and I kind of... Uh, where's, that, where's that come from? Why is it, why, like why bodybuilding? Well, it doesn't come from a conspicuous place to me. I mean, I think it comes from a place where I'm just fascinated by the ability of the body to be plastic and to morph and to grow and change. Yeah. Um, like, I'm just genuinely kind of fascinated by all that. And, you know, it's a personal challenge. Like, I'm not, I've never been into, um, I don't compete. I'm a very, not, you probably have noticed, I'm not, I'm not a competitive person at all. My, the, the only person that I love to compete with is myself. And so for me, you know, I have foods, for example, that are triggers for me that, you know, make me inclined to overeat. Um, so for me, it's, I like to challenge myself to see if I can, you know, kind of oscillate between periods of uh, eating more and building, building more strength for myself and maybe putting on some more muscle mass and then like kind of contracting a little bit and uh, seeing, kind of getting to know, you know, getting to, getting to acquaint myself with maybe a little more hunger yeah. than uh, than I'm, you know, typically used to in, in you know, the overfed Western 21st century um, and kind of like restricting, you know, myself a little bit to see if that changes, if I'm able to do it, you know, just from a sense of uh, the standpoint of personal competition and then body composition. I just think it's cool to be able to modulate oneself in that way. What's the, been the biggest challenge for you in relation to the two? The biggest modulating challenge? yourself. You can take that anyway you want. Um, well, I mean, I guess it's like finding the finding the motivation. Like, right. I don't really care that much either way. I'm not entering. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not entering competitions. Uh, you know, I don't want to. And the way I look doesn't really matter to me all that much now at the age of you know 37 right so it's like i uh but you know i mean but it does matter to me somewhat so i mean it's like you know whether i'm 11 percent body fat or 13 percent body fat i find it cool to be able to kind of oscillate between those two um modes you know but really it doesn't matter yeah. in terms of like my ability to function um, my, you know, my work output. So 
What do you find motivation in? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I hope it, you know, I hope that all makes sense. It does completely. Uh, I just find it cool more than anything. But what else. do you find? Motiv- what do you find motivation in then? Um, well, I'm motivated to work out again because it just makes me feel great, and I love to see the progress um, in terms of my, yeah, my body composition. What do you find motivation in beyond working out, though? Oh, <laughs> beyond working out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> God, what do I? Um, I mean, I like to. I mean, I definitely. Um, I like helping people. That's yeah. uh that's a huge thing for me. Um, I'm very empathetic, and 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 I uh, I see. I've always kind of profoundly been affected by the suffering that I see out in the world. You know, like whether it's homelessness or people that have you know obvious disabilities. Um, I uh. You know, I've always just wanted to be a helper. Um, that motivates me. I'm, you know, I'm motivated by, I definitely have a little bit of like a narcissistic gene, you know. I uh, I like validation, you know. You can tell the least narcissistic people because they'll claim to be narcissistic. Really? <laughs> I think so. Well, if you ask somebody like, I think you might be a little narcissistic, like, no. Yeah. And you look at their Instagram, it's just all just like selfies of them doing bullshit or whatever (laughs) no i definitely like feedback i like having you know followers i'm not gonna lie like i like it yeah it um it also allows me to do what what i love for a living you know i like getting likes on a post all that stuff yeah I, i don't think i'm uh unique i think we all kind of are you know struggling with like addiction to those those kinds of quick dopamine hits have you ever heard these days? Have you ever heard an, an, a wacky idea of why we're so addicted to the little, the little hearts and the, the follows and all that stuff? Which I really don't like the term follow. Yeah, I wish it could be anything else. Subscriber, subscriber, yeah, anything yeah. other than follower. I'm like, oh god, it feels not good. Um, but the um, the reason that we want to continually grow in that way from just some other somebody else's interpretation that I found interesting was that coming back to that hunter-gatherer tribe thing, you know, the 150 people inside your tribe, yeah. now all of a sudden we have this tribe of like, you know, whatever it is, call it like 4 billion. Yeah. You know, how many people are online? How many people are online? Billions, yeah. I don't know. 4 billion or something? I don't know. Yeah. That's a lot. There's like 7.5 billion people in the world. It's pretty insane. It's, it could be anything. How do we know? Yeah. Who knows? Seriously. <laughs> Who comes up with that number? I know. 7.5 billion. I'm like, really? I, mean, I guess I guess you could figure it out. But anyways, so there's, you know, call it 4 billion people. That's a total guess. Um, you know, so now all of a sudden we have this global digital tribe. And so you have this underlying urge to know the people within your tribe to feel safe and feel connected and, you know, feel like if I run out of, you know, whatever, banana bread or yeah. zucchinis or corn, then my neighbor will be able to help me out. We have that, like, ingrained in us. Yeah. You know, we're working more of a communal perspective. Now we're kind of being kind of, like, superimposed on top of this, like, digital thing where it's like, okay, well, I need to know everybody. Yeah. I need to know the tribe. Yeah. And I'm like, good luck. <laughs> now you have this insatiable urge to know all four million. <laughs> well, it make it makes sense, but I also feel like the leader of a tribe would have to want to be the leader of a tribe, you know? So I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with uh-uh. wanting that kind of validation. Like I want to, you know, I would elect myself to lead the tribe of people who want better health information, for example, you know? It's the reason why Jon Snow, I, I was just going to give away a, a Game of Thrones spoiler, but... um. <laughs> but yeah, I stopped myself in case you guys haven't finished the series. But no, it's uh, uh, it's no. I mean, I think that you have to want to. You have to. You have to be able to acknowledge that you believe that your voice matters, that your perspective matters, right? Uh-huh. I mean, otherwise, how are you going to write the book? Yeah. How are you going to show up and do what it is that you love and to yeah, be able to, you know, Jordan Peterson calls it having a noble aim. You've got to be able to have that noble aim, right? Like a, a goal, a vision that's larger than yourself, because. You know the road on the the path to success is rocky. You're you're gonna get you're gonna have disappointments and failures along the way, and only when you have this sort of idealized goal, um, are those you know minor 
inevitable affronts to your ego going to be something that you'll be able to transcend yeah. on your path to whatever it is that you want to achieve. It's, it's kind of an interesting, like a lot of the people that are the most, the, the best at a thing, you know, like I'm, I'm like thinking of like Mike Tyson, for example, you know, like they're, they're so incredibly tormented at the same time as they're, as they're doing their, their, their work, their practice. Yeah. You know, and it's like this, finding a balance between being really exceptional at your craft, you know, and being proud of your work, you know, and then also, but also maintaining mental, emotional, physical health and wellness as you're doing it. It seems like a pretty valuable thing to do. Yeah. Like a lot of like, I think that depression and loneliness, they're kind of, they coincide together, you know, yeah. or that, 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 that isolation, that separation, you know, it's similar in a similar sense of that rejection process it's process it processes itself in the same place in the brain as, as physical pain yeah you know so we have that disconnect you know which i think you could sometimes put into like i am the best you know or too much ego or too much narcissism yeah you know but well that narcissism and that ego for you to look in the mirror and say i'm the best in the world like no one can beat me and it's like raw like that that's what gets a lot of people to be the best in the world you know that that almost like insane belief that they're just they're, they're they're unbeatable, unstoppable. Yeah. And then also at the same time, that can kind of cut people away from their lives because they go into that like me tunnel. Yeah. And then that leads to all sorts of uncomfortable emotional situations as well. Oh man. So having like a balance between there, like I'm like that's I'd like to be like I'd like to be like the thirteenth best in the world. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I don't really think I need to be the best at anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I'm not interested. <laughs> I think I don't know. I, I, you know, I once I once heard a, a a quote. I don't know who said it originally, but if you're the only person that can do something, then you have to do it. You know, so I, I feel like part of me feels that what what inspired me to stand up initially and start putting out the kind of content that I was putting out, you know, in the, in the world of health is that I felt like I was the only person that could really do the things that I wanted to do. Why do you think that is? Um, I don't know. It was a confluence of, well, I'm a, you know, I, I'm a storyteller and I realized that I had a powerful story and that stories are the, you know, motivate people more than anything else. Um, and that I really wanted to motivate people to change. Um, and that, you know, there's a lot of, there's research out there, obviously. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a researcher yeah. in the, in the traditional sense, you know, I'm not publishing peer reviewed literature day in and day out, but, um, I recognize that while that data is, is out there, it wasn't being curated um, in a way and spun into a narrative that was actually helping people. Yeah. You know, so I mean, that's one of the reasons why I think my book was so and continues to be so popular because it actually is one of the few books that, um, you know, there's other brain books, but my book has is ha, is written in a way that I think actually possesses the ability to change people's minds about what it is that they're eating and how they're living their lives. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So I saw that and I, um, you know, and uh, and I kind of just like ran with it. It's funny how humans will naturally take on some role. Yeah. You know, like sometimes I think of like, man, I think it would be, personally, I would find it pretty uncomfortable to be like a scientific researcher working in a lab doing peer review, like really myopically focusing on yeah. one individual subject Ditto. and just being the person that creates the paper and yeah. hopes for citations and you know not just that but like that like they're just really deep in that one subject yeah like it's so cool to be a person that can pull from the poo-poo platter of information of all these people doing this work and yeah. aggregate and put it together but the only way for that to work is if there's people that are you know a centimeter wide and a mile deep down to this one individual topic so we can kind of mine and pull from that information 100 percent. but it's very interesting like like ants do a similar thing like cr critters in nature will do a similar thing 
you know, when they're like, okay, cool, there's like the, the I don't know what the terms were, but there's like the, the kind of like explorer ant that will like go out into the distance and, yeah. you know, find new terrain. And then there's like, okay, we got the, you know, they're, they're all, they all naturally, nature just puts them into this role. You know, it's interesting to think of like, huh, you know, humans are like a bunch of ants in a way. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, we kind of, you find, like you naturally have these tendencies. I wonder if that's like a, like, if there's some genetic disposition for you to be that way, or if it's just that, you know, nature and nurture, you just see that vacancy in the world and your biology kind of takes hold of it hmm. and you become the aggregator of information. I don't know. Good question. <laughs> Aaron Alexander, where can listeners connect with you on, uh, on social media? <laughs> A line podcast. <laughs> you are the man. A-L-I-G-N podcast. That's the shizzle. Connect uh, with Aaron. Yeah. He rules. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, you're invited back anytime. Thanks, man. I'm sure yeah. I'll be back. Yeah, like you know, when, when your when your book sure. comes And we'll out. do we'll release this on the Align Podcast the same day. So I'll I'll have listeners jump over here and hopefully we'll have a big podcast party. Beautiful. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you as always for your time and attention. I value you immensely. Take a moment to share this episode of the show on social media. Tag Aaron again, it's a line podcast. Tag myself, Max Lugavere, and I will catch you on the next episode of the Genius Life. Peace. Pow.